Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Dana Mackey, Research Director at Mintel. We are recording this episode on Friday, April 17th, and I've kind of lost track, but I think it's week four of our COVID-induced social isolation here in Chicago, something like that, week three, week four, week five. Um, And today we're talking about one of the tactics for helping to slow the spread of a pandemic, and that is contact tracing. Before we get into what contact tracing is and what it means for consumers, let's quickly introduce our panelists. Hi, everyone. I'm Diana Kelter. I am a senior trends analyst at Mintel Chicago office, uh, focusing on uh, North America trends coverage. Uh, So my job is to really look across the consumer categories we represent in Mintel and find what those broader um, trends are in consumer behavior. Hi, I'm Buddy Lowe. I'm the senior tech and consumer electronics analyst for Mintel's U.S. uh, syndicated U.S. reports. Hi, I'm Scott Stewart. I'm a senior research analyst in Canada with a focus on tech and media. So the topic for discussion today is contact tracing. Now, essentially, contact tracing is used in epidemiology to track the spread of disease. So if I were to test positive for COVID-19, ideally, there would be health officials that would follow up on that, urge me to isolate myself, but also track down anyone I've been in contact with, alert them that they've been exposed, so on and and so forth, like tracing my contacts back to halt the transmission of disease. But obviously, especially in a pandemic of this size, there aren't public health officials and resources to do this kind of like on the ground detective work. So tech companies are stepping in with some solutions. And I want Diana maybe to give us a brief overview of what's happening in the market right now. Yeah. So um, as a trans analyst, I spend a lot of my day kind of just researching what's happening in the world. And I think contact tracing, as you mentioned, is a term more and more people are being exposed to in the news they read. Um, So it really caught my attention. I think uh, last Friday it was. um, I caught a news article that said Google and Apple were partnering on something. And anytime I see two major tech companies coming together, usually it's something that goes beyond one brand. It's a much broader effort happening. Um, And so basically what they're doing together is they have engineers collaborating from both ends of the spectrum so that this contact tracing technology would be seamless across an Android device or an Apple device. Um, And it's really relying on Bluetooth technology. Um, And I'll let the tech analysts get into some of the more details (laughs) of that. But essentially it's Bluetooth technology that would allow phones to communicate. So um, essentially doing what Dana mentioned, being able to track if you've been exposed to someone who has tested positive for COVID-19. But really, I think what we're going to spend the majority of today talking about and what caught all of our attention is that it's an opt-in technology. So it would start as an app that you have on your phone, and hopefully then they're hoping that it would just be something at the operational level. Um, But no one's going to be forced to sign up for this or be forced to use this. So I guess the question is, and this is something we talk a lot about at Mentel, when it comes to data privacy and tracking, will consumers opt into this is kind of what we're going to focus on today. What do you think? My personal opinion is I think we talk a lot about what the value is of why people give their data away or allow it to be tracked. Obviously, we know consumers are really feeling isolated more than ever. Um, and if something like this could give them some sem- sense of resemblance back to their normal life, I do think we could see people willing to do this. Um, but I think there'll be concerns about what's the point, almost like what we see with a lot of things where people don't feel the tangible benefits like we see with maybe things like sustainability. People are like, well, what's one effort going to do if not everyone's doing it? So personally, I see that maybe being an issue. Um, I know Scott and Buddy had some thoughts on that as well. 
Yeah, kind of jumping off that same point from the, I think the environmentalism is, is a really good example of um, there's a bit of a, a tipping point required for this to have much value to anybody. Uh, so if you get, let's say, 10% adoption rate, is that particularly useful to that 10% of people who actually have it? Or is there a threshold that needs to be hit before it actually offers value to the average person? Because if you're walking around with this app on your phone, it's draining Bluetooth, it's your, sorry, draining battery through the Bluetooth, which sounds small, but these are the things that people consider. Um, that becomes a cost to them. And if the chances of them actually running into somebody who's running the same app and their Bluetooth at the same time is small, um, then it, to your point, Dan, it's like, is it really worth it? What's the point? So I think we need to think of it from a, an individual perspective of just as top level as it's a great idea. We need to think of the average consumer sitting on a couch scrolling through their phone uh, and then deciding, do I install this or turn this on or not? It's that simple. And I think until either there's some incentives around it or until it reaches such a high threshold of adoption, um, there's going to be minimal real incentive for any one person to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd add on to that. I think it, it depends on how it's marketed and uh, and how consumers are educated on how this works. You know, So as long as um, the proper uh, educational materials and informing consumers about what information is shared with who, because um, it's not necessarily giving out your personal information. It's simply creating an encrypted key that associates, you know, your contact with potential other contacts. So, uh, for example, you go out throughout the day and you have this app on. It's going to log everyone that you've been able to come in contact with via Bluetooth. So then it'll just simply say, for example, I'm simplifying it here, but it'll say your phone came within range of phones A through uh, a through G um, today. And then throughout the next, you know, 14 to 21 days, if any of those A through G phones happen to, uh, you know, test positive for coronavirus and they input that information in the app, that'll then notify you that says, hey, you know, you were in contact with someone who was confirmed to have coronavirus. And so I think if, if uh, the privacy issue is something that's um, addressed upfront and is transparent, the overall social good that it could provide could be something that really gets by it. Um, and then another, a second thing that uh, Scott mentioned is those incentives. And I think that having buy-in and uh, wholesale participation from private, the private sector uh, to encourage consumers to download this app uh, would be extremely valuable. So something, and it would be something that I think we need to have if we want to open up this reopen our economy and get back to work and start doing things in public again, uh, like we all want. <laughs> one of the carrots I want to talk about, I guess one of the incentives that I think uh, would be something that uh, would be effective are uh, events or uh, sort of um, industries that kind of rely on congregations of uh, large amounts of people. So uh, sporting events, music concerts, uh, those types of venues, if they required the app to be downloaded, um, and that you had to have you know, a clean bill of health or, or limited exposure to coronavirus to attend, uh, that could also be something that gets people to, um, if not willingly, uh, begrudgingly download the app and participate. I guess one thing I'm wondering too, um, and I think this will be great to have the tech analyst expertise done since I don't consider myself a tech aficionado, um, is because during these times, I think we've seen all 
ages, all demographics, really find a new reliance on technology. That's been their lifeline to either getting groceries delivered or being able to stay in touch with their, their family. Um, so do you guys think that the fact that technology has kind of, in some cases, created a more positive sentiment for people, will that kind of make people more willing to do what technology is offering in this case, which is reopen society? Or will data privacy and tracking just, is that a totally different beast that people will still be leery of? I think the challenge is, so I think you're right as far as positive sentiments towards technology in general, whether it's using a phone to keep connected, video calls, video games, et cetera. Um, I think the bit of the challenge is uh, there's a lot of nuance to this. Um, when we say privacy, and, and as Buddy just walked us through, there are a lot of reasons to believe this is different uh, as far as it's just really these encrypted codes. It's not really tracking anybody. Um, if you had the chance to sit down with every single customer and explain that for 10 minutes, great. They, they would probably hop on. But um, I think there's this overall just privacy concern. And so even if somebody's more comfortable using their smartphone, um, they may have read about a hack that happened six months ago, uh, and that just scares them. So an example that, uh, that it, at least in Canada, that kind of correlates with the, the medical community is there's like a company called Life Labs in Canada, and they run medical tests, so blood tests, et cetera. Uh, they had a giant hack in December of 2019 where uh, there was a data breach where records were accessed of, of people who had used that. And that, that's obviously very personal information when it comes to your, your medical health. So I think there's a bit of a scare of, I didn't even know that data could be stolen. And I, I forgot it even existed because I went there years ago um, that suddenly people are kind of on edge. So I think the challenge is as much as people are comfortable with tech in general, um, there's still a very, I think, surface level of understanding of what true privacy risks are and how one thing differs from another. And as a result, the safe bet is, oh, I'll just be scared of all privacy risks as a result. I think one potential benefit is that it's coming from the private sector. At least here in the U.S., people are so distrustful of the government. And I think, and you might have heard me clicking around because I was trying to find the data point to bring it up, but I think this is in our American Values Report, um, shows that Across brands and institutions, the U.S. government was the lowest rated institution of trust, and the one right above that was Facebook. So, like, even if people are really distrustful of large social media brands and tech brands, I think they're more distrustful of the government, as sad as it is to say that. So, at least if this is coming from maybe this joint partnership with Google and Apple, people will feel feel. Like there's some, some accountability there because it's coming from the brand side and not the government side. I, yeah, I agree. I think um, collaboration to me always is something I focus on a lot in my work, just how we see brands come together. And uh, we were even seeing before, um, before pandemic occurred, we were seeing technology companies unite around standard connectivity for smart homes. So in that case, they were putting the ask access to the technology ahead of an individual brand. So I think we were seeing a lot of, that was Google, Apple, and Amazon coming together on that front. Um, and I think now, even though we're seeing Google and, uh, and Apple come together, which is obviously they are um, two dominating tech forces, I also wonder if it's not enough unity among tech companies. So for instance, um, the CEO of Pinterest worked with the Harvard Public Health Institution, and a lot of other uh, doctors and scientists to create another app called How We Feel. Um, and that's basically a daily check-in 
check-in app where you are asked to check in. You know if you feel good or bad. And if you feel bad, it asks you to know your symptoms. If anyone in your household has tested positive. And then when you're done, it basically says, and you share your zip code, and it basically says, this is the percent of people that feel well in your neighborhood. These are the people that feel poor. Um, so I've been using it for a week. I don't, it doesn't give me as an individual enough data to know like, okay, how many people are actually using this? I just feel like I'm doing something, I guess, in that sense. Um, but I wonder if because that's scattered, like Pinterest has their app that they're promoting, Google and Apple are now doing something that's going to be in the phone level. Is there not enough unity around all these tech giants to be like, this is what we believe? I wonder if that would help people feel trusted if every tech company came together. And also, I think there's the social pressure too. We're seeing a lot here, this like social pressure to, do, to isolate yourself and people yell out their windows. I'm on the Nextdoor app. And if anyone is on the Nextdoor app, you know that it's blowing up with your neighbors saying, so-and-so was outside. The teens are congregating in the park. But it, it actually <laughs> has really, at least in my local area, um, created movement towards social isolation because, hey, they took the basketball hoops down at the park because everyone was complaining that that's where, you know, all the teenagers were congregating. So I think if, I mean, maybe to Scott's point about reaching this tipping point, maybe part of it will become just like that social pressure of you have to be on this app just like you have to stay home and everyone will be pointing fingers at everyone else to make sure they adopt it. Good old-fashioned shaming. Right. That's what I'm talking about, buddy. <laughs> I agree. Um, I think uh, having that po the social pressure and then, again, having buy-in from the private sector that says, like, you know, you, you want to come to an NFL game, download this app. Otherwise, you're not getting in. Um, you know, and I'm sure you'll have a lot of sports fans begrudgingly, you know, b complaining about their privacy being violated while downloading the app so that they can go to the season opener. Cause because that's the American way. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I do want to note, though, that people – don't necessarily trust corporations uh, either. You know, the, uh, my attitudes towards technology and digital world report, 70% of people agreed that they're concerned about the government abusing technology. 72% are uh, agree they're concerned about corporations abusing tech. So it's, uh, there's just a lot of mistrust on there, which is why I think the collaboration between two, what would be considered really big competitors, uh, Apple and Google, um, the fact that they're working together on this, it shows the kind of, the importance uh, this holds and, and the types of uh, efforts that we're all going through to try to overcome this issue. I think it's, it's interesting just that typically just before all this um, competition from a, for a consumer competition is good. Um, you almost don't want as much as it's nice every once in a while for like software to talk to each other. For the most part, you don't want all your big companies getting together and becoming the one like mm -hmm. giant company that runs everything. Um, this is a rare instance where it, it does actually benefit the greater good. Um, and kind of to Diana's point, as far as I think the risk is also fragmentation. Um, if everybody's like, oh, I'll get an app that's going to contribute to this and 10% get this one and 10% get that one and, and it's all split, it's actually not really doing anything. So it's, it's almost like we all have to sit down and agree. It's like we're all better off if we just stop and say, we're going to all do this one um, and that's going to get that to that, that tipping point. Because if we don't and we all have these different apps, then we're all putting a bit of privacy risk for ourselves and we're not getting the benefit. Um, and it's this kind of double whammy. So I think this is a rare instance where people do sort of would be more willing to welcome that kind of uh, collaboration between major companies that whereas typically we celebrate competition. So of this panel, who would or will download and participate and who will not? 
if anyone's willing to identify themselves <laughs> as a yay or a nay? I think I would. Um, simply out of curiosity, like if I do go out to see like what happens, if anything, um, it would be interesting to see. And also I mentioned this before the call, but I was on record as saying that I conceptualize a, a mobile video game using this kind of like premise. Um, this was back when zombies were a big deal and I would, uh, and I was thinking of a mobile tag game and I wondered uh, conceptually how that would work and how quickly something could in theory spread. And I think the amount of data that could be generated uh, from mass participation in this app would be tremendously valuable. Um, for researchers and for the health industry. I agree. I, I, would, I would download it. Um, like I said, I already started using that, um, the one that the CEO of Pinterest launched. So I'm open just because from what I'm hearing, I keep hearing in the news that saying like testing is essential and tracking is essential. So in that case, obviously Mattel is a data company, so I love data. Um, so I feel like any data is useful for doctors and public health officials right now. Um, so in that sense, if I feel like I'm contributing to something that will be helpful, I, I would feel comfortable using it. Uh, so I would agree that uh, in my, if it came out tomorrow, I probably would, but with the caveat to you guys, um, that after in my role, having spent lots of time reading about it, studying it and learning about it, uh, I totally understand that the average consumer is not going to take that time out of their day to do that. But I also agree with uh, the points that Buddy and Diana are making is that the kind of underlying but I don't know, invisible benefit, but something that, that is there too is that even if it is, let's say, only 10% adoption rate, it may not impact the average consumer because they won't see it as much. But if that data can be given to health officials to have a better idea of who's interacting with how many people and how often, um, that could potentially improve their modeling and then it helps everybody in the greater good anyway. So I think if you could maybe create that idea of like, you don't need to hit a tipping point, just contribute the what you can every odd person just downloads it um maybe that's enough of a push to get people to say you know I, we won't hit it won't be 100 percent of people but i'll do my part uh, and i think if you can make it about doing your part it, it may get to a point of being actually uh beneficial to everybody i do want to know um you know the app is a it's going to be phase one of the implement of the implementation and there's supposedly going to be a phase two where the where this sort of software is baked into uh, the operating system um, and whether or not I, uh, I think it's originally reported to be opt-in um, but I think you know if they want to get mass participation they should simply make it opt out and bake it into the over-the-air updates um, and then let the consumers make the voluntary active decision to not participate in this in this sort of program and I think you would get far more participation that way. I mean, we see uh, similar things happen with um, organ donation. Um, when you make organ donation an opt-out versus opt-in, you have dramatically different rates of uh, participation. And so it's, it's as simple as, I think, one, people are just kind of lazy, so they're not going to go out of their way to download an app or opt into something, um, especially if they're not uh, extremely aware of it. And then two, I think if you have them opt out, you actually have someone thinking to themselves, you know, going through the physical process of, I don't want to, you know, help out with this pandemic. You know, I don't want to make my, or, you know, can, uh, provide the resources or do my part essentially. And this is where we get back to, you know, the good old fashioned social shaming of everyone and pointing fingers. 
So that's the message to Apple and Google. You have a pretty solid opt-in here at Mintel. So I think we're giving you a good start. We've got four people ready to go. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content. We will be here next week with another episode of The Little Conversation. Conversation.